This is Politico Energy. I'm Annie Snyder. The UN Climate Change Conference in Glasgow is entering its final days. And while we've seen a plethora of pledges, joint commitments, and agreements from attending countries, the question remains, will the world act quickly and aggressively enough to stave off the worst effects of climate change? Today, we check in with Politico Energy editor Matt Daly to help us understand where things stand in Glasgow and what it all adds up to. It's Thursday, November 11th. Matt, you've been coordinating our team of reporters covering the COP, and with the talks now making their way into the make-or-break period, we thought it would be a good time to check in with you. So what exactly is it that negotiators are trying to craft right now? Well, at this point, they're down to the nitty-gritty of what's going to be the outcome of this event, the official outcome. That is, there will be a text, there will be an agreement. Every country there has to sign on to it. It's by consensus. So what you're looking at is a big UN-style document that says... This is the problem, this is our solution, and here's a lot of words around it. So that sort of consensus requirement has sometimes led to less aggressive agreements than a lot of advocates have hoped for. It sounds like this go-around, the big tension points are whether to target limiting temperature rise to 1.5 degrees Celsius, and then also when to have countries revisit their national targets. Yeah, that's right. The 1.5 degree Celsius target over pre-industrial times That's really a stretch goal that was in the Paris Climate Agreement. The two-degree Celsius target is really the official target. The difference between these is that anything above 1.5 degrees, most scientists say that locks in a lot of the, the worst effects of climate change. So we saw some initial draft language out on Wednesday morning, and I believe our headline described it as weak. What did that draft text say? It's a difficult thing to really assess. You don't know what it's going to look like until the last moment. What they do is everybody goes and argues about it behind closed doors. They get into breakout sessions with each other. The language will get lawyered up. The big countries will really sort of hammer out the precise language that goes in there. But again, as we mentioned earlier, this is a consensus document. So they try to avoid doing the least common denominator, which is the weakest possible pledges that they can get in there. But it's always a trick trying to get strict requirements into this, not least of which because this is not technically a treaty. The United States always insists that this not be considered a treaty because if it were, it would have to go to the Senate and get approved there. And it sounds like there's also some tension around having countries revisit their national targets and sort of how how frequently, how aggressively that should be done. What's that piece of things? Right. That's really tied to the idea of ambition, that Paris was really just the starting point. And remember, These are not binding actions that countries have to take. The only binding part of this is that they have to come with new pledges. If you sign on to the Paris Agreement, you have to come forward and say, we will come up with our own targets. No one enforces those. No one tells you what those targets have to be. It's really peer pressure. Got it. So we did see a surprise announcement out of the U.S. and China on Wednesday. Of course, they're the two largest emitters in the world. Tell us about that announcement and how significant it is. I don't think it's as unexpected. I don't think people should be as surprised as they seem to be on this. John Kerry has really made China his focus. They're the biggest emitter. They need to be part of any agreement. They did both make some very positive statements here, acknowledging that the world needs to do more, that they need to work together to come up with solutions for climate change. Probably the most notable thing in this, to my mind, is that China has agreed to work with the United States on reducing methane. Methane, of course, is the second largest greenhouse gas. It's more potent than 
CO2, but it doesn't remain in the atmosphere as long. However, scientists say if we can reduce methane quickly, we can avoid a lot of near-term warning. We can buy ourselves some more time to deal with the carbon problem. Now, what's not clear to me is how real this is, because last week, 100 countries signed the methane pledge. China did not sign on to that agreement, and China is by far the world's largest methane emitter. So China agreeing to work with the United States is significant, but they didn't really join with the rest of the world there. So perhaps not as much of a surprise as it's being played, but it does seem especially notable, this joint announcement between the U.S. and China, given that Chinese President Xi Jinping didn't attend the conference. Do you expect this announcement to give the negotiations a boost as we head into the final days? It's definitely a positive step for the overall mood of the, of the event. Does it move the needle on emissions? That's yet to be seen. Got it. So John Kerry, the special envoy for climate for the U.S., made some pretty controversial comments relating to coal this week, right? What did he say, and what's the reaction been here among politicians? Well, it was reported that John Kerry said there won't be any more coal plants in the U.S. after 2030. That's news to a lot of people in the U.S. I think that's probably news to other people in the administration, including people in the White House, because that's a little bit faster than even Joe Biden has targeted It's not clear if he misspoke. It's not clear if he was trying to take an aggressive stance in a meeting like this. But what it immediately did was it it sort of evoked the Republican mantra of the war on coal, which they used a lot under former President Barack Obama when he was in office. So Republicans immediately jumped on this and said, the next time the Biden administration tells you they care about jobs, look at what they're promising people overseas. And if John Kerry goes abroad and starts making promises that haven't really been made by his boss in the White House, that opens him up to some at least political embarrassment, if not something that we can expect to see a lot next year when uh, the campaigns for the midterms heat up. Also, on Wednesday, a judge in Puerto Rico issued an order for the arrest of the CEO of Luma Energy, the company that's operated the island's power grid since June 1st. Puerto Rico's government privatized its troubled electrical system six months ago in hopes of ameliorating past problems like mismanagement, corruption, and outages, the worst of which left some customers without power for a year after Hurricane Maria. But even under its new private ownership, the grid has continued to suffer outages. The arrest order Wednesday for CEO Wayne Stensby triggered renewed calls for the cancellation of Luma's 15-year contract managing the transmission and distribution system on the island. The judge found Stensby in contempt of court for Luma's failure to provide all the documents that were requested by Puerto Rico's House of Representatives. Luma did not immediately respond to a request for comment on the arrest order, but the company did release a statement on Tuesday arguing that the case was politically motivated. For more news on energy and the environment, subscribe to our newsletter at politico.com morningenergy. Some of the music on today's show was composed by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Also, next week, days after the UN Climate Change Conference wraps up, Politico will be hosting its inaugural Sustainability Summit. Join us virtually on Tuesday, November 16th, for interviews and panels that will help you understand what's needed to push climate action forward. Visit Politico's live events section to register. It's free. I'm Annie Snyder, and we'll see you tomorrow. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Did you know that Chevron supports the ambitions of the Paris Agreement? 
In fact, they've even tied their executives' compensation to lowering the carbon emissions intensity of their operations. Because it's only human to help power a brighter future. Learn more at chevron.com slash lowercarbon.